It's time for the Anderson Law Power Hour on 1310 The Power with attorney Tim Anderson and host Mark Rollison. Yes, indeed, everybody. It's another great edition of the Anderson Law Power Hour here on Power 1310 WGH Newport News, Hampton, Norfolk. The Anderson Law Power Hour being brought to you by the Anderson Law Firm here in Hampton Roads. 800-1000 is the number you need, 800-1000. As we welcome you to another great edition of the Anderson Law Power Hour. The views expressed in this broadcast are solely those of the participants of the show and do not necessarily reflect the views held by Max Media or its affiliates. Now, this broadcast is hosted by attorney Tim Anderson. Results in any legal case are never guaranteed and previous results are no indication of future results. Now, by participating in this show, you realize it's for informational purposes only. There is no attorney-client relationship or privilege. By calling, you acknowledge that your voice may be used as part of the broadcast also. Advice given by Attorney Anderson on this show is not a replacement to consulting with an attorney directly about your case. Anderson Law is a firm located at 2492 North Landing Road, Suite 104, here in Virginia Beach, with satellite offices in Chesapeake, Hampton, and Elizabeth City, remote offices in Richmond and Vienna. How you doing today? Good morning, Hampton Roads. All right. Well, uh, this is our fifth or sixth show, and we had a really great turnout last week. A lot of people engaged us on Facebook Live, and I will encourage you to check us out on Facebook Live. That will uh, allow you to see the magic that is happening here in the 1310 studios in rainy Hampton Roads this morning. Glad the rain came to beat down and get rid of some of that pollen. Yeah, <laughs> it's been Greenland for I, the last couple of days. <laughs> I have a black truck that has been yellow for at least uh, three straight days, and you wash it, and it's yellow as soon as you get out of the car wash. Yeah. So there's no point in right. washing it. Yeah. All right, Hampton Road. So this morning's topic is going to be wills, trusts, and estates. Ah, important. Now this may sound boring, but we can have a very interesting and fun conversation. Now this is a live call-in show. So if you have legal questions, even if it's not dealing with wills, trusts, and estates, you can call our firm number at 800-1000. That'll ring right here to the studio. You'll be able to talk to me, Attorney Anderson, about your question live on the air. Just keep in mind it is live, so don't say anything yeah. uh, that you don't want all of Hampton Roads to know about. Don't so, have to say your name even if you don't want Yeah, you don't have to say your name, and you can always call for a friend. Yeah. So uh, that's, right. uh, that's fine as well. So you can uh, call and talk to me about any uh, legal topic, and if I can't answer it, I will tell you somebody who can. Uh, but for right now, we're going to cover some wills. And so I give this lecture uh, a couple times a year, mostly to corporations. And they have these employee benefit programs, and they'll ask us to come out and talk to their employees about wills, trusts, and estates. And uh, the biggest misnomer about this area of law is that you need a trust. And we're going to talk about whether you need a trust or whether you don't need a trust uh, in that. Uh, we're going to talk about wills. We're going to talk about power of attorneys. We're going to talk about how to get rid of a, a will, if, if somebody wrote one that maybe didn't have the capacity to write them, and then we're just going to get into some other litigation. Now, believe it or not, as a uh, bankruptcy attorney and with a lot of bankruptcy practice, uh, almost everything ends up in bankruptcy in, in some sense or another. If you're going through a divorce, uh, a lot of times that ends up in a bankruptcy. Uh, a lot of times people who are going through uh, some type of estate issues are going to uh, be circling towards bankruptcy. If you get all, some type of major civil action ends up in bankruptcy. So there will even be a little bit of a bankruptcy uh, talk about how that's going to intertwine with the state law here as well. So let's get started. Uh, on the Facebook Live post, I put, uh, did you know you don't need a will? Most people don't. Oh, so okay. uh, everybody comes into my office and they, you know, they think they need a will and, and, and they expect that that is going to be necessary to avoid something called probate. Now, I'm, I'm air quoting if you're watching us on Facebook, but probate, the big dirty P word. So first of all, let's talk about what happens at death. When you die, your stuff, the things you have, the furniture in your house, your motor vehicle, your furniture, your bank accounts, your investments, all of that has to go somewhere when you die. And the law will say that if you write a will, your will is going to say what happens to that stuff. Where does that stuff go? Who does it go to? How is it going to be paid? All of those things get wrapped up in the, uh, the will. Now, as, a, uh, as a, just a testator, somebody who, who is writing a will, 
you can leave your stuff to anybody you want. So if you have children, you don't have to leave your kids anything. If you have uh, a spouse, uh, you don't have to leave your spouse anything, although there is a tiny exception to that, and we're going to go through that here in a minute as well. But you can leave your stuff to anybody you want. So if you have three kids and you don't want to leave your children anything and you want to give it all to the SPCA, you're allowed to do that. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason about what you can do so long as you have capacity to do it. But for the vast majority of people that come into my office, they are people that have children. And they may be adult children or, or younger children. But if your kids are adults and it's your basic intention that when you die, everything goes to your children equally, whatever you have, then you don't need a will. Because Virginia has rules about what happens when people die without a will. If you have a will, uh, that will tell the estate what to do. But if you don't have a will, then the law says, okay, we have these, these issues, and when you die without a will, all of your estate is going to automatically pass to your children. Now, if you don't have any children, then the law says all of your estate goes up to your parents. If your parents are already dead, then the law says all of your estate goes to your siblings. Uh, and then it goes down from there to nieces and nephews and all of that. But the kind of the point is, is that Virginia says if you don't have a will, they want to try to keep your assets in the family. And if it's your intention to leave all of your assets, whatever you have, to your adult children, then there's no reason to write a will. I mean, you can, but it doesn't save anything. It doesn't make anything easier. It's simply just a difference of whether we're, we're filing your proceedings with a will or without. And if you're doing it without, then everything goes to your children anyway. So probate is the thing that most people are trying to avoid. They're worried about it. They're scared of it. Yeah. And let me just say probate's not nearly as bad as what people think. So Virginia has really uh, streamlined rules on what happens to assets. So if you, if you die and you have a piece of real estate and you want that real estate to go to your children, and whether you have a will or you don't have a will, basically the law says that as soon as you die and that death is recorded with the court, then you are going to get the benefit of that real estate automatically passing to your children. All your children have to do is go down to the court. They file something called a real estate affidavit saying, you know, my dad died, the two children are me and my brother, and then automatically that real estate passes directly to your children. Uh, no probate, no taxes, no penalties, none of that. None of that happens. It just automatically passes. It's a, it's a trip to the courthouse. You don't even need a lawyer to do that. That, that happens. Now, again, this is dealing just interfamily, so with between parents and children. So if you have these issues where you, you, that's what you want, there's no probate. So what, what other issues are probate? Well, all your stuff, all your furniture in your house, that can all be sold to at a garage sale, or, or the children can come pick it up and pick whatever they want. We don't need probate for that. Uh, so what are you really dealing with probate? Well, mostly you're dealing with titled assets, maybe like a vehicle or maybe like a bank account. So bank accounts, you can direct your bank accounts to pay on death uh, whoever you want. So if you want your bank accounts to pay your children, then you can tell your bank, hey, when I die, I want you to pay everything that's in my account to my kids. Then that doesn't go through probate either. So if you, if you just do a little bit of pre-planning, probably all you're going to have in a probate proceeding is maybe just a car or some other kind of minor little asset. And that would make your estate very, very easy to administer. And you may not even need to even open up a probate estate. So uh, kind of think about that. If you have just children and you want everything you want to go to your children equally, whatever it is, don't need a will. If you want something to go somewhere else, you do need a will because the law is not going to allow your stuff to go to the SPCA, even if everybody knows the SPCA is your most favorite charity. You have to actually put that in writing. But if all you want is your stuff to go to your spouse and then to your children, then that is uh, there's no necessary reason to have a will. So let's talk about how we're going to make that a little bit more complicated now. If you have a situation where maybe your children are minors uh, under the age of 18, 
And we're a little bit more concerned about things like custody and maybe trust, you know, having a trustee or a guardian and uh, all of that for your children. If, if you have a minor child or minor children and you both die, uh, you and your spouse both die, what's going to happen to your child? So inside of a, a fairly simple will, we can put some language about that of what your preferences are. You know, who do you want your child to live with? Uh, who do you want the... Uh, the caretaker of your child to be. You know, it could be your sister or your brother or your parents. Uh, who do you want that to be? Now, your kids aren't assets. You can't just will them away to somebody. Uh, the court's going to have some say in what happens to your children, but you don't have to uh, make that super complicated. It can be contained in a will. It can say, hey, when I die, I want all my stuff to go to my spouse, and if my spouse dies, I want all of my stuff to go to my children, and if my children are under the age of 18 at the time, I appoint my brother to be the guardian of my children until they are old enough to be able to stand on their own two feet. And then I'm also going to tell my brother, hey, I want you to uh, use this money that is set aside for these children to, to benefit them. So if they need braces, use this money to buy them braces. If they need to have a, if they need to have a car, buy them a car. You know, these are the things that you can tell your family inside of the will of what to do. And that is how most people do things. That is how this, that's the magic of what to do with parents with children. Now, when it gets more complicated than that is when we actually may need a trust. Now, we haven't talked about a trust just yet. We've just talked about wills, but when you would need a trust is basically in two points. The first one is maybe you have a lot of money. Maybe you're very wealthy. Now, if you are very wealthy, uh, you probably already have a trust uh, or some type of tax shelter and some type of uh, situation with your financial planners. But if you are very wealthy and you are looking for uh, some type of benefit uh, to dealing with your money, then creating a trust could benefit that. But, you know, uh, we don't have too many super wealthy people uh, in Hampton Roads. I mean, most of us are, are just regular middle class folks. And so if you're just a regular person, why you may need a trust could be a couple of reasons. Maybe the first one is, is that you are not super happy with your daughter's husband, all right? Maybe you don't, maybe you're a little <laughs> skeptical about if that marriage is going to last. Maybe you're a little skeptical about your own son uh, squandering the money away. And so you want to hold that money uh, so that they just can't get it right away. So you want to create a trust and, and you leave all your assets to your trust. And then inside of the trust, you sell the trust, hey, you pay these people whenever they do that. Now, uh, for me, I'm, I'm certainly not in the super wealthy category, but I did create a trust uh, for, uh, for my family. And uh, one of the things I did in my trust was I put carrots in front of my children uh, to do things to be able to get some of the money out of the trust. Mm -hmm. uh, no different than what I would do if I was alive. Mm -hmm. So if you want uh, this amount of money, you got to graduate college. If you want this amount of money, you have to go to graduate school. Uh, you know, these are these are carrots that I can put in, put in there, and if they don't do it, they don't they don't get the money. And the the benefit of that for me is is if I'm not going to be here, I can still try to influence my children to do uh, to do what I hope that they would do in their lives. So you can you can create that with uh, trusts, and so you get a little bit of, uh, I guess, talking from the grave a little bit more when you have a trust, and you can encourage your children to be a little bit more aggressive uh, to do the things that you would hope to do and maybe that you would be cheerleading for them to do if you were otherwise alive. All right, so that's kind of the basic uh, few things that we are, uh, we're going to cover throughout this morning. And we do have our very first Facebook question, which is going to be a tiny bit off the topic here, but let's just go ahead and read it. This is from Kimberly. It says, All right. Uh, are there any debt relief companies that are truly reputable and will protect the consumer and not the creditors? All right. Well, that's actually a good question. A tiny bit off of, off of the topic, but you know we're fine with that. Let's talk about that just for 30 seconds. Most of the credit counseling companies are owned by the banks. So you have to be careful about using credit counseling companies because the game that credit counseling companies do is get as much out of you as they possibly can over the over a period of time, so Kim, what I would what I would suggest that you do is there is uh, in bankruptcy you have to do 
uh, credit counseling course that's truly by a nonprofit company. And those uh, those credit counseling companies are not owned by the banks. They're truly nonprofits, and uh, they are not trying to mess with, uh, trying to get you to pay anybody. They're just going to talk to you. Uh, what, you can uh, you can Google them uh, right online uh, and just say uh, bankruptcy credit counseling courses and just pick one of those and you can take the course. Uh, it doesn't mean you're filing bankruptcy. It just allows you to take one of the pre-bankruptcy filing classes. They will give you lots of information about what you can do and what you can't do and they will also give you referrals to legitimate companies that can help you with that. So I've heard of consumer credit counseling. Maybe a non. I think that's nonprofit, right? Yeah, yeah. Always look for the nonprofit stuff. Yeah. Uh, and just you know, try to try to get that. Uh, don't pay uh, a lot of money for credit counseling. Uh, the bankruptcy credit counseling courses are about ten or fifteen dollars for two or three hours. They shouldn't be much more than that uh, in the in the other counseling sessions that you have. If it's truly a nonprofit, they're doing. I think the Up Center here in Hampton Roads has some uh, debt relief and debt counseling uh, situations, and so. Uh, you may want to check with the Up Center. I, I know for a fact that they do have something that whether that would be what you're looking for is that. And a wealth of knowledge. We had a great, great show on bankruptcy about a week or so ago. That was a wealth of knowledge. The podcast is still available on your website? Yeah, the podcast is still available. That's ne- a great show, man. Well, I learned a lot. Next weekend is going to be Easter, and we're going to be out of town that weekend, so we're going to rerun that show All right. uh, next great. next Saturday. Uh, so if you did miss that, it'll be rerun on uh, 9 a.m. next next week. So AndersonLaw.com. Yeah, uh, Virginia Law Office. Virginia Law, excuse me. Yep, Virginia Law Office. Yep. Uh, yeah. If you're on Facebook, you just go to Virginia Law Office and it'll pop up there okay. as well. All right. So let's uh, kind of get back into the areas of uh, wills and trusts here for a second. So we have a situation with uh, parents that are getting old, and there is going to be some questions of whether or not uh, you should create a will. Now, there's two ways that you can create a will in Virginia. Uh, the first way is, and this is the most interesting thing about wills that I can possibly talk about today is you can literally take a piece of paper like this, if you're watching Facebook, and you can write on that piece of paper what you want to happen to your stuff. All right? I can, <laughs> I can be like, hey, I, my name is Tim Anderson, and this is what I want to happen to my stuff, and then I sign it. Okay. That's called a holographic will, and that is totally legal in Virginia. Well, All right, okay. doesn't have to be done by a lawyer. Doesn't have to have any fancy words in it. It just says, "Hey, these are the things I want to happen in my will." Where do you keep it? You keep it in your safe. You okay. keep it in your your safety deposit box with your other papers. All right. uh, you don't have to. You, there's no will depository in Virginia, mm-hmm. so you just literally write it out. So if your parents are older and uh, and they just you know feel more comfortable having a will, you can just encourage them to write it on a piece of paper. Don't have to go see a lawyer. The second way you can have a will done is <clears throat> you can have it prepared by somebody. And if you have it prepared by somebody, uh, it'll be typed up and it'll be fancy and it'll look pretty uh, and it'll say everything that the person wants. Uh, that will will have to be signed by the person who's writing the will uh, and it will have to be witnessed by two people and it'll also have to be notarized. Mm-hmm. So you've got four people involved in a will in that particular situation. But that's called a self-proving will, and that would be admitted to probate without, uh, without any issue. So the difference between one and the other is, one, it's just it's entirely handwritten. Now, this, this has to be handwritten. That's the trick. It has to be handwritten. It can't be typed on a computer at home and then they sign it. Okay. It has to be handwritten, and it has to be signed by the person who wrote it. You can't write it for them. They have to write it themselves, and it has to be signed. Or... It can be typed up, and then it has to be witnessed and notarized uh, and uh, all of that. So whichever way you go, once that document is prepared, it cannot be modified by simply scratching through it and changing something on the document. If you have a will and you want to change that, uh, you have to do one of two things. Either one, you create a new will, or two, you amend that will with something called a codicil. And a codicil is basically just a fancy legal word for uh, amendment. And so if I'm going to create a codicil, I'm going to say, hey, this was my, you know, I recognize my will. I wrote this will in 1999, and uh, I appointed this person to be the executor in the will. Well, I don't want that person to be the executor anymore. I want this person to be the executor. And then that gets signed and notarized, uh, or if if it was handwritten, you handwrite it and, uh, and attach it, and you staple it to the back. If you start m- messing with the original document by scratching through it or by whiting it out and changing something, 
you will invalidate that document. So do not do that with your wills. Uh, keep those all to them, uh, all, all safe. Uh, don't mess with them. Don't modify them like that. And then you'll be just fine with uh, making a codicil. Now, if you decide alternatively to create a new will, once that new will is prepared, it's very important that you destroy the old will uh, by shredding it or throwing it away or something because old wills cause problems. Uh, if you die and your family is looking for your wills and they find an old will shoved in your sock drawer, that may be the will that they go with if they can't find the newer will. So get rid of it, shred it, throw it out so that there's no confusion with what will otherwise happen. So now going back to your older parents, if your older parents are trying to do a will, there's two problems in the will areas that can happen that can cause people a lot of anxiety at, at, um, at the death stage. The first one is, is uh, did the person have capacity to write the will? And the second one is, is were they unduly influenced when they wrote the will? So uh, towards the end of uh, folks' lives, um, they may have three or four children, and maybe one child is living with the parent, and the parent has gotten very fond of that child because that, that child's basically you know, taking 100% care of the parent through that entire time. And so you're in a situation where you have people... Uh, the, the, the parent saying, well, you know what, maybe I'm going to leave everything to my son uh, who's taking care of me, and I'm going to cut everybody else out of the equation. That can be very problematic for individuals who are doing that when uh, you're cutting out family members and you're leaving everything to one of the caretakers, because there could be an allegation that there is uh, some undue influence. Ah, All right, we've got a call for today, and we're going to take you live on the air. Appreciate you calling in. This is the Anderson Law Power Hour, Power 1310. How are you doing today? What's your question, please? I'm doing well. Um, my question is, um, I have a question on beneficiary. Of, okay, my brother passed. Before he passed, he had um lawsuit about um, dialysis medicine. Long story short, um, I was listed as a beneficiary along with his wife. Um, it's been a few years, and finally she got the settlement, but my name was down on the beneficiary. My question is, what am I right? So you were the beneficiary. Uh, we both were put down as the beneficiary on the uh, claim uh-huh. on the lawsuit that he oh, had Oh, I see. I see. But he, he didn't have actually a will or anything? No. All right. So, all right, great. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead. But and he died. He died in the midst of it, but it's just been settled, sure. and um, the wife got the check. Great, great. Okay, let's... So it, let, we both were beneficiaries. What is my right? Let's get... Well, okay, so we'll get into that. So that's that's kind of what I started uh, the, the program with in the very beginning. If your brother didn't have a will, then, then he died without a will, and that's called intestate in Virginia. And what the law generally says is that when you die intestate, all of your assets go to your surviving spouse. Uh, unless there's a will. So uh, without, uh, without a will, uh, it's probably unlikely you're going to have any claim to uh, that, that money unless there was something in writing that he directed that you should get, uh, you should get some of that. So that's going to be I, a, a problem. What I have is a letter from the lawyer that was handling the case. Uh, when my brother died, he sent me a letter stating that I was named as one of the beneficiaries of the case, but the wife was pursuing on his behalf. She pursued the case because he died in the middle of the case. But I do have a letter stating that I was one of the beneficiaries of the case, of the loan. Yeah, so, but so, so when, you die, so when I, something like that happens, the money comes into the estate. And uh, it, it's, not, it, it's not you suing, it's not the wife suing, it's the estate suing. And right. when the estate sues, the money comes into the estate. And then if he didn't have a will, then the estate pa- pays the money under Virginia law, pursuant to Virginia law, and that's all going to go uh, to right. the spouse. So, okay. So, okay. Uh, so anyway, I ho- uh, again, this is a, a very good example. This might be something you want to sit down with an attorney to talk about more about, but for the purposes of this very quick talk show, uh, that's mm-hmm. probably going to be a tough situation for you, okay? But thanks okay. for calling in. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. 
800-800-1000. And you know we appreciate you all listening in every week to the Anderson Law Power Hour here on Power 1310. And if you haven't had a chance to kind of take a break from the week-to-week grind, Attorney Anderson, we'd like to offer people that opportunity. How would you like to see the great Norfolk Tides? Indeed, these tickets, we have a family four-pack available for Tuesday, May 7th, going out to beautiful Harbor Park. Tides taking on Pawtucket. So your opportunity to uh, win a pair, family four-pack of tickets right now. And I'll leave the uh, questions up to you. I know don't make it too difficult. <laughs> you want to make a call at number three or two or one. <laughs> no law questions, please. Like we want to, I guess we probably want to try to have, you know, some participation. So we should probably do like caller 742. Uh, we'll get the uh, ticket. Right. So I think there should have to be some trivia with giving these things away. Like, you know, maybe where did I go to law school? So I think okay. if you, uh, you can be okay. the first caller that can tell me where I went to law school. Uh, you can have these uh, family four-pack tickets, and uh, if you, uh, you'll have to come pick it up here at uh, beautiful um, Max, Media. Max Media Studios here. Uh, so it'll be up at, at the front waiting. So we'll leave those out there. So the first person who's looking that up, probably a good place to start would be to look at my uh, website. Just going to give a little hint there. <laughs> all, right. Um, all right. So back to the uh, the law questions. So that we're talking about. Uh, and that lady's question was really good. You know, that is a perfect example of what will happen if you don't leave a will. Virginia law is just going to kick in and it's going to say, hey, we're going to throw that estate money directly to the statutory scheme. And, and in that situation, everything's going to go to your spouse uh, and then everything's going to go to your children and then everything's going to go to your parents and then everything's going to go to your brothers and sisters. And there's no way to really uh, deviate from that. And And there's something really fun in the law. It's called is cheat, E-S-C-H-E-A-T, as cheat, uh, eventually, if there's nobody to get your stuff, the state of Virginia gets it. Mm-hmm. So how about that? Heard so that before, Virginia yeah. gets the money. So uh, if you have no, it uh, goes to the unclaimed funds, and then after a period of time, uh, it goes to uh, the good old-fashioned Commonwealth of Virginia. So uh, if you do have uh, uh, children and that's what you care about, no need to have a will, uh, if everything's going to go to them, but if you completely alone, no spouse, no children, and you don't leave a will, uh, and you have no brothers and sisters, and your parents are gone, uh, then you would definitely want to have a will in that situation because otherwise, everything's going to go to uh, Virginia. Yeah, my recommendation. I know you're a great attorney. We've had this opportunity to talk at least in different capacities here at the show. But you mentioned the fact that you're a street-level attorney. You meet people where they are. I'm sure there are questions and people, as the lady called, and have uh, situations. Best thing to do is sit down and talk with you. Yep, that's yep, right. 800-1000. Attorney Tim Anderson. 800-1000. Call that number directly to his office, and you can also ask the question on air here, live, if you like. 800-1000. Sit down and talk with him. Outstanding attorney. People uh, call in for a minute or two, and you know I'll, I'll throw out a little bit of advice, but the law is tricky in every subject, and there can always be arguments that can be made and, and, and ways to pursue a case. And so taking a little bit of advice like this over uh, the radio show never is a substitute for getting a full consultation with an attorney experience, and that could be me or that could be somebody else. But definitely uh, use this information as a stepping stone of knowledge and then uh, farm it up with, uh, an attorney in their own uh, in their office specifically on what's going on. All right, so let's flip off into the uh, the next part of this uh, topic, which is going to be uh, power of attorneys. So in in a will, uh, it is very common that somebody will come to me and say, "I want to be cremated," or "I want to have my body moved to uh, Wisconsin and buried at our family." Plot and I want to put that in my will. There, that's no place uh, for your will. Your will is basically just to leave heirs assets. All right, so your body is not an asset. It's it's if anything a liability at this point. Somebody's got to do something with it. So you can't put in your will. Well, you can, but it's not going to be of any effect. Uh, you can't put in your will what your final wishes are for your for the uh, burial and disposal of your remains. The way that you do that is the easiest and most effective way to do that is, is to make an agreement with a funeral home called a uh, pre-burial funeral contract. And essentially what you do is you go to a local funeral home and you say, hey, uh, when I die, I want you to take custody of my body and I want to be cremated. And I want my ashes uh, 
you know, located at this cemetery. Um, all right, hold on. We're going to pause that for a second. Another call come in. Maybe this is our winning ticket. Maybe so. Good morning, son. How are you doing today? I am doing pretty good. But I wanted to um, wanted him to elaborate on the situation that he just uh, talked about. I have the exact situation. I am alone. I'm a widower. No kids, no wife. Only two half-sisters. And uh, just explain that to me. How do I go about making sure that what I have is, you know, Disproportionate, whatever. Uh, uh, do you do you want all of your assets to go to your half sisters? That is what I don't want. Okay, great. Well, then you would definitely want to create a will, uh, and inside of the will, you're just going to say wh- where do you want your things to go, and it can be uh, to a charity. It can be to uh, you know, any, any, any place that you, you want your, your assets to pass to, uh, you have to appoint an executor. This is somebody who would uh, marshal up your estate when you die, turn it all into cash, and then they're going to pay whomever uh, you, you pick. And uh, if you're truly alone like this, uh, usually uh, what I encourage people to do if you're going to leave things, especially to a charity, is to go sit down with that charity and just tell them that this is what you want to do. And they will most likely volunteer to become the executor of your estate so that you don't have to find somebody else to do that for you. Well, I have, um, I have some very close relatives, uh, which was more like sisters and brothers. And do I make a um, notarized will for that, or do I, I mean, provisions? Yeah, yeah. If, if, if you want to leave things to family or friends or other, you know, other kind of... Uh, distant family members, yeah, you can. You would want to put that in a will. And like I said in the beginning, you can have a will prepared by an attorney that says that, or just on a piece of paper, you can handwrite exactly what you want to happen and uh, just make sure that you appoint somebody to be your executor and then make sure that that executor knows where your estate is. Oh, okay. All right. Thanks for calling. Thanks Appreciate for listening. It. Thanks. All right. 800-1000, Attorney Tim Anderson. This is the Anderson Law Power Hour here on Power 1310. We appreciate you listening. 800-1000, 800-1000. Got some uh, answers to the question up there? Yeah, I got a question here from Crystal Williams, whether we do child custody matters. Uh, yes, we do. Uh, that's something that you can call us about. We, are going to, we did a, a show about uh, divorce and custody. Uh, about two or three weeks ago. If you want to listen to that, uh, you will find that on our uh, our podcast page. So if you go to Facebook and go to Virginia Law Office like you are right now on our uh, live stream, you'll see the uh, podcast page there and you can uh, listen to that and certainly schedule an appointment by calling 800-1000 on Monday to talk about that. All right, so back to where we were uh, just a second ago, uh, dealing with uh, your body. So you, so when you're, if you want your body to be dealt with in a certain way, you, make this, you can make a deal with the funeral home. And then when you die, they literally take custody of your body. They're going to follow your, your wishes to the T. So if you want to be cremated, they cremate you. If you want to be buried at a certain uh, uh, cemetery, they'll do that. Uh, and that's the easiest way to deal with that. If, if, you, if you do not go that route, then essentially your next of kin makes the decision of what to do with your body. Now, your next of kin is a very loose term. It can, be, uh, it can be a variety of people, but usually it's your spouse, and then after that it's your children, and then after that it could be parents, and then after that it could be distant relatives. Uh, but the, the next of kin uh, is usually the person that's going to pay the funeral home, and so the funeral home is basically just looking for somebody to step up and take custody of this body and take financial responsibility for what is going to happen. So if if you're going to be that person next of kin, uh, then we're going to likely uh, have all the say on what has to happen. All right, another call. Let's go. All right, 800-1000. Thank you for calling the Anderson Law Power Hour. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? All right. Good morning. What, what can we do for you? Good morning. Um, I have a question about, um, like, probate, um, power of attorney, stuff like that, executor. Um, my father just recently passed away and, um, he didn't leave a will and my sister was appointed executor. We have an, an attorney for his estate, 
but do we need to keep that attorney with it being in probate? Do we have to keep the attorney the entire time? Or my sister being executor, can she work through the estate? Uh, well, sure. If, if she's the appointed executor, she does not have to have a lawyer. Uh, so she can fire that lawyer uh, on behalf of the estate if she wants to and, and, and finalize the estate matters herself. The estate is the client, and so the client can, can represent itself or can represent, be represented by an attorney. So if you want to terminate your relationship with the attorney uh, and, that, and, and she's the qualified executor of the estate, then that would be totally within her prerogative to do so. Okay. And also um, because, like, he, he has vehicles, like, one of them is still, you know, has a loan on it, it's still being paid for, um, and then he also has another vehicle that, you know, is free and clear. Now, can those be distributed, like, within, because it's only been four months, or do we, you know, still have to wait with those, or... Well, generally what the commissioner of accounts, and that's the kind of the boss of the probate proceedings, uh, you have to file an inventory and you have to file an accounting with the uh, commissioner. And once yeah, the... Com- we've already done that. Okay, well, once the commissioner approves the final accounting, then disbursement of the assets is, uh, is, is allowed. I, essentially, I think the biggest concern that the commissioner has is, is that creditors are paid first. So if there are creditors, they got to be paid. And so you got to make sure they're paid. But once you've satisfied the commissioner that the creditors have been paid, uh, he's not going to really care about what y'all do with the uh, the assets. So, uh, so yeah, you may want to probate is kind of tricky, and and having a lawyer is uh, is a good thing. You may not need to have an attorney for the entire representation, but maybe keeping that relationship to where you can go back and ask questions as you need to. It's not a terrible thing. Uh, usually, sometimes people just get stuck in the mud and they need just a little push out, and that lawyer can usually do that if they know what they're doing. So, uh, you know, probably keep them, you know, on the fringe, and and if you're going to try to do it yourself, most cities uh, have a handbook, uh, probate handbook, and if you just follow what you're supposed to do in there and you do it timely, you're going to be just fine. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, just hit it. Eight zero zero one thousand. Yep. Right? Eight zero zero one thousand. That's our. Uh, that's our number. All right. Well, the shows. Uh, actually, I uh, I thought probate and wills would be the most boring topic, and so far we've had the most phone calls. So uh, I'm pretty excited to see uh, the calls. And so please uh, continue to call in. You can ask questions on Facebook. And yeah, Jeremiah, we did get those uh, tickets. So thank you so much for that. All right. So back to the. Uh, uh, you know, how to deal with your, your, your remains. And so if your next of kin comes up and they're gonna, going to uh, dispose of your remains, the person who's paying for your funeral is probably going to have the say in that. And so you may want to have conversations with your uh, family members about what your intentions are so that, you know, we're honoring those as best as we can. And uh, it's also not a bad idea to leave the person some money uh, and some access to money because funerals are expensive, you know, probably five to $10,000. And so, uh, you know, if you haven't prearranged that, uh, work that out to where either you have some life insurance or if you have some money in the bank, you, you leave uh, that person some money by payable on death so that they can uh, accomplish that, uh, that burial. You hit exactly what I was thinking today, and I don't want to take you off topic or take up your time, but it's such a sad story we hear often today. And maybe a good lesson is that there's no reason not to have a life insurance policy. Because you see the GoFundMe pages pop up when someone dies unexpectedly. We don't know when our clock is over, so to speak. But give someone the prudent advice. What happens when it gets to your office or uh, you see those cases? What, what, it's like, why didn't they think of it? I, I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, no matter how old you are, you can get a very small life insurance policy for, for very little money. Yeah. Uh, you know, so just, just helping, helping your family deal with your funeral expenses if you don't have the money get a $10,000 policy right. uh, and, and get that in place so that, you know, somebody's not having to come out of, out of pocket a lot of money to put you in the ground. So, you know, those are, those are kind of, uh, those, that's a little bit more sensitive. But keeping in mind, not something that goes in the will, okay? This is something you have to pre-think about ahead of time, all right? Yep. And this is something you got, you don't want to just push it on your family to do, make it, make it work out. Uh, make that make those expressions known, and make sure that the person who's having to deal with it has the access to deal with uh, the financial expenses of that. Okay, so uh, power of attorneys. Now, flipping into that subject, power of attorneys. What is a power of attorney? 
It's basically allowing somebody to make decisions for you when you can't. Now, this is not a life or death situation very much, uh, or always. It can be, but it's more than likely a situation of what's going to happen to your money and to your stuff, what's going to happen to your, uh, for your medical decisions and your medical choices if you can't make those decisions. So, so you could be in a coma from a car accident, and somebody has to make those decisions for you. You may develop a debilitating long-term disease like Alzheimer's, and somebody's having to make those decisions for you. Uh, so often we get phone calls from people whose parents have Alzheimer's, and they are, uh, they're, they're completely incapable of making the decisions, and they never had a power of attorney, and now they want to get a power of attorney so that they can make decisions for their parents. But the problem is you can't do it then because mm. the parent okay. is incompetent. Oh. So you got to make these documents when you're competent. You got to prepare these documents when your mind is right, not when it's gone. And, you know, somebody who has, you know, who thinks it may be 1954 uh, can't possibly sign a legal document that binds, you know, binds yeah. their their estate and decisions. So you got to make these decisions while you are of sound mind. So. Uh, get those in place. Now, you probably have, uh, you probably don't know the name, but uh, there was a lady down in Florida who uh, got in a, a horrific car accident, and uh, she essentially uh, was brain dead. And so she, she was married, and if you don't have these documents in place, your spouse has a lot of leverage here, right? So uh, she was brain dead, and the husband wanted to... Uh, proverbial pull the plug and end her life. And, and she'd been in this condition for a long time, you know, like a year or more, I think. And the husband wanted to do it. And, of course, the parents of the, of the child did not want that to do that. I mean, that's perfectly, totally normal. I mean, it's very hard for mm-hmm. a parent to make a decision to end their child's life. Um, so, the, you know, the husband wanted to pull the plug. The parents said no. Um, there was no written documents. This woman had not contemplated this. Uh, in any type of form. And so uh, it went all the way to the Florida legislature. And the legislature passed some specific rules just for her specific case. Uh, What a mess. You know, Mm -hmm. what a mess that caused. What a strain on that family that caused. We dealt with people that could could have been resolved with a single document, uh, a single living will that says, hey, if I'm brain dead, pull the plug, mm-hmm. right? Or if I'm brain dead, don't pull the plug. I want to be kept, uh, I want to be kept alive in a vegetative state uh, for perpetuity. Um, and, and so that is, that is really, you know, a document that, that our office may charge $50 to prepare uh, could have saved that family years and years of heartbreak yeah. and, uh, and would have also clearly expressed that person's wishes. I mean, I think most of us as human beings, if we're persistently in a vegetative state with no chance of recovery, probably don't want to be kept alive, mm-hmm. you know? But I think the parents in that argument were, well, you know, there's, you know, modern science could change and we never know what's on the horizon and maybe something can be, can be resolved. You know, there's this hope uh, that everybody has. And so I think, I think just making those decisions and taking those things out of the equation uh, helps, helps everybody you love. Picking somebody to be your power of attorney takes the, takes the pressure out of your family infighting on what's going to happen to you. Maybe they have to make a life or death decision, but you don't have to have the whole family come together and, and have a debate about it. You're going to appoint one person, and that person has the sole authority to do that. So that, that is good for not just you, but good for your family. Mm-hmm. And it, it really resolves a lot of, uh, a lot of pain and suffering. Uh, that cause that's caused in these types of uh, uh, situations. Okay, so uh, back to the will. Uh, what we're going to kind of full circle back on what I was just saying on that. That is something that the will uh, will do as as well. Now this is a situation where um, when you have people that have pain and suffering in their life, uh, you are going to see it very common in a will. There's a a, 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 a name in the the law that's called laughing heirs. And what a laughing heir is, is basically when, when you die and they find out you're, you died and they find out they're getting money, they're very happy because they're getting money. They're called yeah. laughing heirs. And, you know, they don't really care about you. You know, they don't really, you know, they had no love interest and they're certainly not sad that you died. They're happy that you're dead because now they're going to get money. 
I'll tell you what, if you want to see the worst in people, oh my. Uh, show up at a, a situation <laughs> where there's a will reading uh, at our office, and you will see you know, good, normal people lose their minds when they find out you know, what, what's, uh, what's in there. So you know, your mom and dad decided to leave you know, uh, all of their, ch- I, I just wrote this will the other day, you know, all of their money is going to go to a charity and nothing's going to the kids because oh the, <laughs> the kids are fine. That's what they said. Kids have all the money they need. They don't need our money. So, uh, you know, one day when that will gets read, that, those ch- children are probably going to be pretty upset, uh, you know, by that. And <laughs> so, uh, you know, these are, these are, these are funny, uh, funny dynamics. But if you're going to cut somebody out of a will, let me give you the very single best advice uh, to do that. First of all, you're entirely in, able to do that. If you don't want to leave your kids anything, that's your, your money. It's your decision, all right? But the easiest way to get that set aside is that you didn't have the mental capacity to make that decision, all right? So usually what we have in our, in our situation is, is a parent that comes in and they're, they're quite old. Maybe they're you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, and 50, gosh, I'm almost 50, maybe 70, 80, 90, uh, and they're older in mind, and, you know, they're making these decisions, and you have a uh, parent that says, I don't want to give Johnny any money. I want to cut him out of the will. I'm mad at him. He, you know, he's, he's, you know he's, he's out. Well, that's fine. She can do that, but if she's going to do that, when Johnny uh, finds out about this at death, he's going to say, well, my mom didn't have the capacity to make that decision. Mm-hmm. She was old. She was on medication. Mm-hmm. She had brain injuries and brain disease and all of this. And so I want to set that will aside. And uh, the, be- the best thing you can do to, to make that not happen when you're doing these things is you go to your doctor and you say, hey, doctor, will you please write me a letter that I'm totally of sound mind, that I can totally make it my own decisions. And if you do that, uh, you get that letter, and uh, you attach it to your will, and then when uh, when Johnny comes to the will reading and finds out that he's been cut out and that the doctor wrote a letter that said, you're totally fine when you wrote that will, <laughs> Johnny's out. I mean, yeah. that's, just, that's just how it goes. And so get, if you're, especially if you're older, you need to get a doctor to write a letter. Now, you don't need a doctor letter if you're leaving everything to your children equally, but if you're cutting somebody out and they're going to possibly contest it, then uh, you want to uh, have a doctor's opinion letter so that that uh, contest doesn't uh, go away. Okay, so back uh, a second. We're giving away these Tide tickets, and hey, uh, Facebook Live, you can see them right here. 800-1000, 800-1000. We appreciate you listening in every Saturday morning from 9 to 10, the Anderson Law Power Hour here on Power 1310, the best talk and timeless soul. Attorney Tim Anderson Make sure you call any questions live on air here or directly to his office. Also, Anderson Law, of course, online, Facebook as it is right now. Anderson Law Power Hour here on Power 1310, VirginialawOffices.com. VirginialawOffices.com. But most importantly, 800-1000. 800-1000. Did we get the answer to that trivia question, what uh, law uh, school you went to? No, but nobody's posted anything yet on right. Facebook. Okay. But look, uh, let me tell you what these are. These are four tickets to the tides to any game. May 7th, I think those are uh, no, specific. It, it says, uh, oh, yeah, you're right. You're May, right. 7th, May 7th. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, sorry. May 7th. So, um, so May 7th. Well, actually, it says here, based on uh, only valid for. Oh, okay, okay, all right. May 7th. So, May 7th, four tickets. Yours, all you got to do is tell me where I went to law school, and they are yours. May 7th, uh, which is a Tuesday at 635, four tickets, and you, they are uh, yours to have. So, yeah, take the family out. Have a good time. Beautiful Harbor Park, by the way. I yes. love that place, man. It's like, Wow, we missed the water, everything. Yeah. We missed opening day, but I'll tell you, it is a special place out there. Sure, for is. sure, sure. Eight zero zero one thousand. Eight zero zero one thousand. Didn't mean to cut you off. Eight zero zero one thousand. That was exactly the scenario I had in mind. Kind of comical in a sense, but you, you verified it. <laughs> Somebody wants to contest the will, and they appear out of the blue, and then they are in your office thinking they're going to get all the money. Nope. <laughs> and, no. and that's a that's a tough situation. I'll yeah. tell you. It's a, it's a, when a parent cuts a kid out of a will, yeah. uh, even if the kid has been what? A, yep. You cut me out, mama. That's it is unbelievable how how. Uh, frustrated, but of course, you know they they take no responsibility for the fact that they haven't spoken to their parents in five wow, years, yeah. and you know, completely done nothing but very offended when that happens. All right, so here's the here's one of the biggest frustrations we have when somebody dies uh, is finding out where their assets are. Now, this is a big misunderstanding about the law. 
that when you die, I can just plug your social security number into my super lawyer computer and find out exactly where all your stuff is. And I'll tell you right now, there is no such thing as a super lawyer computer. <laughs> uh, there is no super lawyer database. Uh, we are we use Google just like you use Google. We, we have uh, very limited access to information uh, any more than, than anybody else would. So when you die, when I'm trying to figure out where all your stuff is, it's a hard thing to do. We have to sometimes wait for an entire year until tax statements come in and dividend uh, 1099s come in and all of that. And sometimes it's a, it's a total mess. We have no idea where everything is. And so what I always encourage people to do is to write something called a death letter. And basically what a death letter is, is it's, a, it's an inventory of all of your stuff. Where is everything? Where are all the things at in your life? Uh, your bank accounts, your real estate, your financial investments, your vehicles. Uh, what are your online passwords? You know, this is a big problem with mm -hmm. Facebook. I mean, thank you to Facebook for letting us live stream uh, our shows, but... Facebook is really kind of a pain in the butt when it comes to dealing with people who have died. They won't take your account down. I mean, I'm still friends with people on Facebook that have been dead for 10 years now oh uh, because they're, you know, they're, they're, their yeah. profiles aren't removed. And so you may want to remove your loved one's Facebook profile if they've, if they've died. Uh, and you can't do that if you don't know the Facebook password and, and user login information. So put all that on the form. You know, what is, your, what is your common ID? What is your username? What is your password uh, for your email? What is your username and password for your online banking? What is your username and password for uh, all of your uh, social media accounts? Uh, we, we, we need to know those things because as we're winding your affairs down, it does make it very easy if it is all in one place. And what is really nice about creating the letter is that you can change that letter as things progress in your life. So if you have three pieces of real estate, and then you sell one or you buy one, it's easy just to scratch one off and just write another thing on. And this doesn't have to be typed, doesn't have to be notarized. It's just a letter for your executor so that they know where to go looking for your stuff. And if you do that for them, you will make your family's life much easier and much simpler. Where are your life insurance policies? You know, life insurance is a big one because life insurance, you have a very short window to notify the insurance company of death. So if, you know, some of those windows are as short as 60 days. Mm -hmm. So if, mm -hmm. if you die and, you know, your family's trying to frantically look for your policies right, and right. they can't find it and they don't notify the insurance company within the window, uh, they may not be able to collect on that policy. So, so be careful about, you know, putting it all together. So the way I've, I did it for myself is I have a big binder. Everything is in there, all the insurance policies, a list of all the assets, uh, you know, all the estate documents. It's all in one spot, and the person who's going to administer that for me knows where those things are, and that's, that's how you should do it. That mm -hmm. makes it as smooth out, uh, to your family as possibly can go. Great idea. Great idea. So uh, that is uh, about all we're going to talk about with wills and trusts today. I, I have... Uh, other things that we're going to talk about, but we are, again, at only like four or five minutes left. Eight minutes. So, eight yeah, about, about, about that. So I, okay. I have some interesting things from uh, the Virginia paper this week that I just had to read to you because they are uh, super uh, funny and super intelligent. Um, so, so let me read this one. This is the, my favorite one so far. Uh, this is a criminal case, and it says a mistrial ends a trial of a defendant charged with murder because the defendant believed that the victim was a werewolf. Okay. I don't have the laugh track, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so this happened in Alexandria, and a jury mistried the case, meaning that they were deadlocked, meaning that all 12 people couldn't agree. The defense of it was that the person who killed the, the defendant who killed this person believed that the victim was a werewolf, and uh, as a result of that, the uh, jury could not determine whether or not the person was, uh, was uh, the insanity plea that he was putting forward uh, was valid or not. So uh, I thought that that was a pretty interesting thing because uh, we've never seen the werewolf defense, but that now seems to exist. So if you... Uh, find yourself charged with murder, 
um, I guess you can use the werewolf defense because that seems to uh, to work uh, under Virginia law now. <laughs> okay. So uh, yeah, maybe just don't don't do it. Uh, that would probably be the best advice I could give you uh, with uh, with murder. Uh, so the uh, the second thing that we we read in the law, and I didn't get uh, the uh, the paper, the second part of the paper on this, but I wanted to to comment on you. But in the Virginia paper, and this is for lawyers, right? There on the on the uh, front section of uh, the paper, it said, uh, you know, certain behaviors that lawyers are supposed to have in court, and and one of those is is theatrics. You know, one thing that we we look at on television is is you know we see all of these you can't handle the truth, you know, shouting at the top of your lungs and yelling at the judge. None of that. Uh, none of that is actually really in the law. None of that is appreciated by judges. And unfortunately, some lawyers who watch uh, uh, a mm-hmm. few good men think that that's how they're supposed to act in court. And uh, none of that, none of that gets along. If you've ever been in a court proceeding, uh, you're not going to see the uh, showboating, uh, so forth. And and what was what what's commentable about that is that has to go in a newspaper for lawyers because there are still some lawyers acting that way in the law. So, uh, Would a judge find a lawyer in contempt if they broke out like that? I think, Possibility? I, I think they would be reprimanded for sure, yeah. and if it continued <laughs> forward, a judge could, could definitely hold you in contempt. You know, sometimes lawyers, uh, unfortunately, assume the personality of their clients, and uh, that, can, that can result in a lot of uh, difficulty dealing with the lawyer uh, if they are you know, 100% drinking their client's Kool-Aid and, uh, <laughs> and not going to budge on anything their, you know, their way or the only way is the, is the way it goes. And so uh, it, it is interesting that that had to be in our local uh, Virginia newspaper in April of 2019 that we're not supposed to be showboating and, and acting like that in court. Uh, that is a very, uh, very funny thing. I guess it's still happening in some parts, but it, it certainly doesn't happen mostly around here. You know, usually you go in and maybe get a little heated and a little tempered, but most of the time you're, you st- try to stay uh, generally professional. And uh, yelling at the top of my lungs that uh, witness can't handle the truth is probably not something you're going to see uh, in the law. So uh, next week is Easter, Hampton Roads. Happy Easter to you, everyone. Uh, I hope that everyone has a great Easter. We are going to run our bankruptcy uh, show that we ran a couple weeks ago on that, and then I will be back here in two weeks, uh, two weeks from today to to continue on. We didn't give away our tides tickets, so uh, we'll have those, I guess, on our next show. So yeah, have them call the office. Yeah, you can have them call. And Somebody asks the question, you can give them. Yeah, you can call us at eight zero zero one thousand. I'll hand them out to you, and you can pick them up at our office. So right, yeah. uh, thanks for listening again. My name's Tim Anderson, VirginiaLawOffice.com, eight zero zero one thousand. Feel free to call us when you, if you need any legal advice. All right, appreciate you, Attorney Anderson. We'll catch you next week here, as it is every Saturday morning. But remember, next week's broadcast, you said the bankruptcy show? Yeah, we're going to do the bankruptcy show. That was a great program, really outstanding. 800-1000 still for your opportunity to win those family four-packs, plural four-packs, because we're going to make sure we give all of these away so you can plan in enough time to attend the game on May 7th, Tuesday. So look that trivia question up. What law firm, what law firm, what law school, what law school did Attorney Tim Anderson go to? And call in or make sure you call the office, contact the office. I only got three to give away for this show, so we're going to do make sure we give all three packs away, and we'll be doing some down the road. 800-1000 is his number. 800-1000, directly to Attorney Tim Anderson. Call in, and uh, they'll figure out the easiest way, most direct way for you to pick up the tickets. And I guess in this instance, it's the first three people who get that answer correctly. He'll draw those names from the data and that's how you'll be able to win the family four-pack of tickets to enjoy the Norfolk Tides for May 7th. Thanks again for listening to the Anderson Law Power Hour. The views expressed in this episode are solely those of the participants of the show and do not necessarily reflect the views held by Max Media or its affiliates. The broadcast is hosted by attorney Tim Anderson. Results in any legal case are never guaranteed, and previous results are no indication of future results. Now, by participating in this broadcast, you realize it's for informational purposes only, There's no attorney-client relationship or privilege to any caller who participates. By calling, also you acknowledge that your voice may be used as part of the broadcast or promo. Advice given by Attorney Anderson in this show is not a replacement to consulting with an attorney directly about your case. Anderson Law is a firm located at 2492 North Landing Road, Suite 104 
in Virginia Beach, with satellite offices in Chesapeake, Hampton, Elizabeth City, and remote offices in Richmond and Vienna. Catch you next week, okay? All right. Enjoy the day. It's going to be nice and sunny later on after the rain goes away. We'll catch you next week on Power 1310. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. This has been the Anderson Law Power Hour with attorney Tim Anderson and host Mark Rawlinson, Saturdays at 9 a.m. on 1310, The Power. This is WGHAM, Newport News, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, 1310, The Power.